Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand, and this is where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. Hey, everybody. Before we start the show, just a few announcements. Uh, Remember, Thursday the 15th, we will be doing, I will be doing a live on YouTube on the Sailing Into Oblivion channel at 8 p.m. Eastern Time Zone, and uh, just doing question and answer for anybody that wants to chime in and uh, learn a little something about what the heck just happened on this uh, voyage of mine. So that should be a lot of fun. Anybody can come on in there and uh, don't have to be a subscriber or anything. Again, it's the Sailing Into Oblivion YouTube channel. Uh, Other than that, tonight's podcast is uh, sort of different. I, I had... The tables turned on me, so to speak. Uh, If you've been listening for a while, you might remember Pax from a couple of episodes. uh, And he he agreed to come and sit here and sort of ask me a few questions about the trip to get the ball rolling on the story of just what the heck happened. And uh, I think it turned out pretty good. Pax is a good sport, and it was a a lot of fun. And I think it was a good way to sort of uh, expand on, on sort of the the adventure as a whole and we obviously didn't hit every single thing but we we got a pretty good roundabout story in there in just about an hour so other than that hopefully everybody enjoys it i do always have to say if you want to support the show head over to patreon you can follow the link in the description and you can join the patreon family which is growing and i can't thank all those who have already signed up you guys are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, It really is helping, especially at a time where uh, things need to be purchased and all that. Uh, Other than that, uh, if you want to reach out to the show, sailingintooblivion.com. Just go to that, the podcast link, and click on contact the show. Um, The only other announcement is, yeah, we have two different lines as far as the shirts and hoodies and zip-ups and all that go. We've got the original Sailing Into Oblivion, and then we also have the Sailing Into Oblivion One Wave. Very, very cool little shirt. So pick those up if you want. It definitely helps to support everything that I'm trying to put back together in my life. Uh, So just follow the link for uh, Bonfire on that one. Without further ado, Jerome being interviewed by PAX. Thanks for listening. All right, here we are back from some technical difficulties with PAX. PAX, I give over... Yeah. The Sailing Into Oblivion podcast to you, my friend, to help me tell this story about this trip. So let's dive in after a couple of weeks and tell tell me, you, you are already riding, what, the, the a third gale, third storm in a row without really any breaks in between, huh? Uh, yeah, essentially. So when I left on the 14th, I knew that within two days time, a low pressure system was coming over the Gulf of Maine, like a small one, but kind of intense it was going to be i the forecast i saw was for like 25 knots of wind it was more in the 30 knot wind range so it turned into a near gale um and i knew that i'd be riding the front of the system which was going to be easterly winds which is where i wanted to go so i was going to hove to and then once the center of the low passed over then I would get the westerlies and I would just start ripping out of the Gulf of Maine at that point. And so I did that one and it was kind of a pain and all that stuff, but 
it wasn't too bad. Um, you know, I, I normally like to head out to sea with like a good favorable forecast for the first like week if possible. Cause you know, it's yeah. a lot of stress to put onto a boat. I, I kind of think of it, you know, how like if you go into do like sports or something, you stretch. Yeah. I like to stretch Sparrow out before I put her through her paces. Yeah. Get in a rhythm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so we got through that one, uh, and it, it lasted, you know, a day, day and a half. And then very shortly after that, we had another one, um, just a small, smaller system. I don't even know if it was a near gale. It was pretty close, but, uh, it, it, it got pretty ugly again, but nothing nothing compared to what happened with the the third system. And the third system was one that I hadn't, you know, it was too far off in the forecast to oh, yeah. sort of see anything. Um, so how far were, were you when uh, that system hit? Uh, when that one sort of began, I was about halfway in between Cape Cod and Bermuda. So pretty far out there. I had, after... During the second system, I was running south as fast as I could because I knew the third one was coming out, and I also knew the Gulf Stream was pretty far north at that point, and I knew that I did not want to be near the Gulf Stream. I, yeah, I didn't want to be in the Gulf Stream. I wanted to pass it. And according to sort of my forecasting and all that stuff, and I'm able to download the weather a lot more efficiently now than I used to be um, using sort of new software and, and the Iridium Go. But essentially, it looked very feasible to be able to get across the Gulf Stream and then into an area without any eddies um, because the eddies are sort of the wild card. They change kind of yeah. quickly and... They may not be moving as powerfully as the stream, but they're going in just different directions. And so really not a fun place to be in, especially as they sort of can change, you know, overnight in intensity and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when you get hit, um, how, how long that system was built building for you? Because you've seen those waves just keeping getting bigger and yeah. bigger. And... Well, it, essentially it was one of those things where, the it was pretty well almost flat calm on the early early morning like two in the morning on the 20th and then by 4 a.m just before sunrise it started to build so the wind started to pick up and by probably 10 a.m it was already blowing close to 30 knots Um, so it was, it was already getting very close to like gale force at that point. And I had initially thought that I was going to just weather that storm where I was hove to and just wait it out. It was going to be a longer system for sure, but it was one of those things where I was kind of like, I'm in a good position here and I can just sort of hang out and just deal with it. And I remember when that wind hit i mean we went from being not quite becalmed but almost no wind this massive squall system comes in and this oh, yeah. is before sunrise squall system comes in and big rain and then i i think i i, I don't know if i have a clip or a video of it but then the wind dies right but i could hear the sound of breaking waves oh, off oh, in wow. the distance right can't see anything but i can hear it 
and I'm sort of like, oh my gosh, I can hear this wind coming and it's getting closer and closer. And I think I had the camera on and then all of a sudden it goes from like no wind noise to just and I'm like, holy cow. And so, but I was already prepped and ready to be hove to. I had the triple reef mainsail yeah. and I had the storm jib up. We were pretty much there ready to just sort of wait it out. And um, you were running those waves up at that time, no, I was just just sitting there, and it it, it wasn't uh, the waves had kicked up maybe to like four to six feet or something, so nothing big. Still, that's uncomfortable. Um, but as the intensity of the wind picked up, I don't know. I kind of I I got it in my head that I was sort of like you know, I wonder if there's any other option here. And I was just south of the main flow of the Gulf Stream. And so I looked at the updated uh, forecast for the Gulf Stream. I looked at the weather forecast and I saw that, you know, the stream is moving directly uh, to the east. The wind is coming directly out of the west. And I was like, you know what? This position that I'm in and then everything south looks almost identical to what it looks like, you know, 120 miles from my position. Yeah off to the east so i was like you know what instead of hove two because i know i have to get east anyway eventually i was like why don't i just ride this we'll ride it for you know 20 hours or something like that and then when i get to that next spot in between all these eddies and stuff then i can jibe and i can peel out away from the gulf stream that was the thinking um and you know obviously i chose wrong uh, for sure. I mean, but who knows? You know, I. I mean, do you think it would have been better to just hove to and I let it pass? Uh, you know, possibly. Yeah. I mean, it could have been one of those things where I would have been much safer just hanging out where I was, just sort of take it. I mean, when when you're hove to on this boat, and let me know if you're too hot, I can turn that heater off. That's uh, fine. When you're hove to on this boat, it's it's not that uncomfortable. Um, it's just you're heeled over. You're listening to that wind noise. It's you're still getting bobbed up and down, and it's one of those things where I had already done that for 12 hours up in the Gulf of Maine, and I was kind of thinking to myself, "Geez, like I, you know, this whole thing is all about going where the wind takes me yep. and all that." And so, I I don't know, you know, you never know what waves would have been happening where I was originally, but. I, I made the decision to go and I, you know, I do think that some of the, some of the confidence in making that decision came from the fact that I could download these updated forecasts, which are always sort of a gamble because it's just a forecast. It's a model. Yeah. It's not the reality of what's going on around you. And, uh, you know, I don't know, but that's that was sort of the decision making process at the time so you have this plan and yeah it's getting ugly eventually you're trying to go catch some sleep at what time this uh big wave hit you that happened just around like 11:30 at night so okay. all day long we're we're sailing and we're we're ripping like there's squalls coming in the winds have built up but pretty much steady like 30 knots um you know definitely gusting a lot higher especially in the in the squalls and the seas though, because the current was going with us, didn't really build up all that much. Um, you know, normally in those sort of circumstances after 
you know, 12 hours, 16, 18 hours, the, you would expect the swell to build up, but it really never did. Um, you know, we were, don't get me wrong. We were, we were racing down some pretty epic waves and stuff like that, but it wasn't, you could, you could tell very obviously that the current going with the wind was keeping sort of the seas calm. Plus some of the heavier squalls, the rain was so intense it almost sort of flattens the sea out a little bit. It's yeah. really kind of kind of strange. Um, but yeah, eventually day turns into night. It's I'm just triple reefed and I'm running. Sparrow loves to do it. I've done it all around the world almost. And um, yeah, seems safe enough to maybe take a oh, couple yeah, hours yeah. of sleep. Well, and that's it. that's the thing. I mean, you know, if if things are in the right rhythm, we weren't getting hit by any waves. We weren't taking any breakers or anything like that. And so it just sort of seemed like, yeah, this is some some decent little heavy weather sailing, nothing out of the ordinary for what we've done, and we're just we're just gonna cruise. So I had though it was a pitch black night, and out of sort of my own thinking, and I don't know if it's just I'm getting older or what, but I decided to put my harness and my uh, tether on. Interesting. And normally not even a thought i've just that that stuff stays in the closet and i've never you know it's just there and for whatever reason i just felt like you know maybe it, maybe it was just a little too intense i don't know in any event i had that stuff on and i go down below and i tried to catch some sleep a little earlier in the evening i think i might have got maybe an hour and then up for a little while because in those conditions you know you don't sleep for too long you no. sort of keep checking and i came down Probably was only down below for about 15 minutes, and I was laid down not on my normal bunk but on the one opposite. And I was had my full wet weather gear on, still had the life jacket and the tether, uh, even had my headlamp on my head, and I was just lying there on starboard side. Uh, I was on the starboard side, yeah. yeah. And so, so again, we're heading basically to the east, and uh, from the north. A large wave came and you know in the previous times where i've been knocked down like in the southern ocean it's a very loud prominent impact like a car accident sort of thing just really loud because there's a big breaker it slams into the side of the boat you know you might get tipped over but it's like the the wave uses all of its energy just to smack yeah. you and then that's it. But then that one didn't just break break on your boat. It sort of lifted the boat yeah, before it break. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So from what I can ascertain, not only from the damage done up top, but also the motion and what happened to me down below was that essentially this wave began to break right underneath Mighty Sparrow. So it it basically picked us up. And as we got lifted up, we tipped over to the starboard side, um, and, and that was the side that the the boom and the mass, I believe, yeah. So that would be the side that the boom and the mast were or mainsail were on. We were we were running, so it was sheeted all the way out. But essentially, yeah, we go up, we tip over, and because the breaker was big enough, we just sort of rode the front of this breaker all the way down until we hit the actual ocean, so to speak. Um, 
with the port side, probably at about 145 degrees or so. Wow. Because down below, it felt like we had gone completely all the way over. There was damage to the ceiling in certain areas, um, and there was lots of stuff way up high. I mean, there was there was egg yolk and everything on the ceiling panels over there. Yeah, it's mayhem inside the boat. The fridge opened Absolute up. Absolute mayhem. Yeah, I mean, I, I was not expecting anything like that. Um, just... You know, and and to my own at my own fault because had I thought that things were going to get anywhere near that bad, um, I would have gone into complete lockdown mode on the boat. You know, where you're screwing down the the uh, floorboards, everything's getting screwed down, bolted in. Um, there's just nothing that can sort of fly. You know, when I was in the Southern Ocean, I mean, literally after that first knockdown there just wasn't stuff that could really fling around the boat anymore because I was, I knew what it was like to get the boat just smacked. Right. So I'm down here and just all I do is I hear the grumble. I feel the motion. And then it's literally like somebody threw the entire contents of the boat on top of me. So I'm in this little section. I think I kind of fell into that little pilot berth there. But everything, this table, all the cushions, all these books, this Lee board right here was was right here, but it snapped in half. There was a 40-gallon um, water bladder, which probably had like 30 gallons of water in it. That shifted down. All the food came out of the fridge. Stuff came out of the cabinets, under the seats. Some of the stuff came out. Um, you got hit by something. I got hit in the head by something right in the ear. My ear was really sore for, uh, probably about 10 days or so afterwards. And yeah, so I'm, I'm all of a sudden buried and obviously I want to get out, but it was almost like I had to unbury myself, like clawing out of this pile of stuff to be able to then walk along the side of the wall to get to the companion way. And so we're still over. So like, how, how long have you stayed like, like over before the boat re sort of recover? I cannot be sure at all, but I would say it's, it's definitely in like the 10 second yeah. to 15 second range, something like that. Um, those long seconds I can imagine. Yeah. And I mean, it was, it was one of those things where, yeah, I mean, I, I almost wish I had like a timer on it yeah. from the moment I got piled up to the moment I got to the companion way, but I get up there, turn the headlamp on and just start looking around. And I looked back and I saw Mongo was there. And then I look forward and see the mast is still there. And I look at the boom. The boom looked at first to be bent, uh, but later inspection, I found that it wasn't. It was just part of the, the reefed sail was sort of hanging down. Uh, but then a second glance back and I realized that the arch or the gallows is what they're called that hold the boom. Uh, that was all gone. So the solar panels were gone and the AIS aerial was gone. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And then as I actually got into the cockpit, I realized it was all still dragging alongside the boat. Yeah. And that was like, oh my gosh. Like this isn't just like, oh, it swept it away and now we're dealing with it. It was like, no, you got to deal with it now. Yeah. And, you know, at that point, there's this weird thing that happens. So a big wave crashes, like a really big one. There's this eerie calm for about 30 seconds that falls over the sea. And I don't know if it's just because you're in that big white water patch, but 
there was a little bit of like, oh, it's like sort of calm down. And then all of a sudden it's like the wind wall hits you again. And so now I'm looking at this stuff and we start sailing again because, you know, Mongo's still there. He's not quite hooked up anymore because uh, he was hooked up a little bit to the arch as far as, or not to the arch, but to the cap rail that got ripped away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah. And stop me if I'm getting too, going too no, fast no, through just, this or anything. Um, but essentially, you know, I, I, I eventually look over the side and I see that we're dragging all this stuff and it's, it's sort of, I'm only seeing the solar panels, but I know the pipes for the gallows and everything, the stainless steel stuff is all hanging in the water as well. Yeah. And I can see that it is very close to Mongo and my rudder. And that, you know, when you consider your mast falling off um, out at sea, the big fear is that the mast will puncture a hole in the boat and then the boat will sink. Yeah. Right? And you have to get rid of quick as possible so exactly yeah. yeah and so i'm i'm sort of in that mind frame but i'm looking at it and i'm kind of also thinking like you know if if possible you want to salvage everything that you can get it back on the boat and then maybe you can you can fix some of it um so i gave it a couple of tugs because there was there were multiple lines and multiple wires still holding it yeah and after about two tugs i knew because we were still you know i i think we were almost surfing waves again pretty yeah. quickly yeah and that's um, still dragging in the water and must have yeah yeah it's just it, it wasn't a big enough surface area to sort of slow us down but it was definitely uh yeah. the fact that it was so close to the wind vanes uh hydro rudder that was scary. I was like, if that gets taken out, then I'm self-steering this boat myself yeah. for the rest of this night. And so in any event, I tried to pull it up and my mind just said, you got to make a decision. And for some reason, and this was sort of the other weird thing, I had the buck knife that my uncle gave me in my pocket. He gave me this really nice knife after I did the trip around the world. And it's always like super sharp. I always have it on the boat, but I... I rarely ever use it because it's nice. It has a nice inscription in it and stuff. And uh, for whatever reason, it was in my pocket, in my my jacket. And so I was able to just whip that thing out, open it, and I just started cutting. And it went through everything like butter. Electrical wire. Oh, yeah. I mean, lines. the Spectra and the, the triple braid stuff, it just boom. And all of a sudden, all that stuff is cut away. And it's just drifting or, you know, sinking, obviously. Uh and it still lies there on the floor of the Atlantic. Um, and then at that point, it's sort of looking at Mongo and and making sure all the hookup attachment points for its pulleys so that it's still functioning as well as it can. And Everything I, was fine with the running rigging, with your storm jib and all the, and the uh, Well, the storm jib was lashed down to the deck. Um, that, that was just there in case the winds escalated right. to a point where I had to go from mainsail to storm jib. Okay. Uh, typically that gets up into like, uh, the 45 to 50 knot range where Sparrow gets like out of control squirrely and it can't maintain it's, it's just downwind trajectory. Um, or if I decided, you know, it's time to just start fore reaching or something like that or go hove too. Was there a point that uh, with with all that that you kind of had your your eyes on the the life raft and or the eperb, or you know everything happened so quick that uh, kind of came out look at the damage make the decision to let go the solar panel and all that? Uh, not quite. Not at that point. 
it did eventually we'll we'll get into when it, it did okay. sort of come into play. But at that point, the really my my thought process was let's get the boat sailing and then I gotta get back down below and start assessing sort of the damage. Um, you know, cause I, I didn't know if we were taking on any water yet or anything yeah. like that. I just wanted to get the boat sailing, then go down below. And I came down below. And again, like I've told you, I think it's pretty funny. Like that I had my GoPro and started just doing these little clips of the chaos that was going on. And that sort of helped me in a way. It was almost like, it was almost like I had a, excuse me, another person with me, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Kind of like talking through, talking through what was going on. For some reason, it seemed to, I don't know, seemed to add to the experience, I guess. But in any event, I, I came down below and then, and it's just, you see it all and you're just like, holy cow. And I had turned the batteries off because I didn't know if they had all been flipped upside down or, right. or whatever in the engine room. Luckily, they all stayed in place. They're locked in pretty good. And there's some water in the boat Oh yeah, there's water, there's egg yolk, there's spaghetti sauce, there's probably, I don't know, the Jack Daniels bottle had broken like in the first first little system. I had one pop out of this cupboard over here and the plastic cap shattered. So the boat smelled like a gin palace for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was, yeah, I mean, it was just a mess and all the cushions and all the books and my pillows and everything are all slopping around in this. Um, and the, the one thing that worried me was that water bladder because it had gotten loose. It ripped out of its, uh, anchors up here. And so I took that over to where the, the bilge opens up and I just sliced it and I just dumped it all into the bilge. Um, and there was already quite a bit of water that had come from the sinks and the toilet and, you know, all that sort of stuff. There was plenty that came in the hatch as well. Um, so then proceeded because I didn't have any electricity. I was like, all right, let me go bilge this out until we're dry and then I'll go back down. So I went up and used the hand pump and that, that did it pretty quick. You know, you, you were messing with yours the other day. Yeah. Yeah. I just tested it for the first time. Yeah. It does work pretty fast. It's very fast. Yeah. yeah. And so I got that done and then I came back down and it was sort of organization time and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and really, you know, without getting into like every single detail of, of step by step, it was just sort of like, okay, now it's midnight. I've got another four hours, five hours of darkness. I'm hoping that we don't get another wave. Is there anything else that I can do to prevent or sort of help the situation? And at that point, I was like, okay, well, the wave came from the north. We're riding these waves coming from the west. I'm going to try and split the difference. So I was able to go on and find my position. It looked like I was in a good spot, almost to the spot that I wanted to be at to jibe and get out of the, get away from the Gulf Stream. So I just decided, okay, well, let's do this. So I go back up and I jibe the boat over. And now we're headed towards the southeast instead of going directly east and uh and basically getting away from the stream and there was a big eddy um to the west of me and there was kind of a strange little thing off to the to the east but there was this little corridor that looked really good barely any current at all and uh so that was where i was headed and i figured you know if we another big wave comes now it'll be instead of broadside it'll be on the corridor um you know by the stern so 
and and it seemed like it worked. Um, I was able to come down below and clean up and stuff, just to, almost more to take my mind off of it because I didn't want to sit in the cockpit and just wait and hope another big wave doesn't come. At most, I would poke my head out of the companionway because yeah. uh, I had no Dodger, obviously, at this point. And uh, so you're pr- pretty exposed when you stick your head out of there. Uh, but go through the night and then finally in the daylight. Um, yeah, and just, just so that people re- really understand the whole uh, rail and lifeline on the side of the cockpit uh, is gone. So it, you, you sit there and there's just nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Six inches yeah. Of, of bulwarks or railing, if you will. Yeah. Eventually and, you and then sort ocean. of rig uh, some lifeline with the... Uh, ropes that you had and uh i guess it kind of do the job or <laughs> yeah but. essentially it was like a day a day later uh when we were becalmed sort of after the storm that i was able to sort of rig up just a few lines they you know i couldn't there was nothing there to really tie off to so i couldn't really tighten anything yeah but it was more for the illusion of safety um and you know it was bright yellow so I could really see it and stuff. I, I don't know. It was just one of those things. I, I'm sure if I was stuck out there for a month or so, uh, I probably would have rigged something else up as yeah. well. But, you know, at that point, it it was sort of the least of my worries. Um, but essentially, yeah, when, when it got light, then I could see the, the total damage. But I could also see that the seas had built up quite a bit uh, through the night. And I could see kind of what I was dealing with. Oh. And, that was that was when it sort of hit home that I was like, okay, so these are some of the waves. But even then, I still hadn't really witnessed what what could have caused. Like it still didn't seem like any sort of sea state that would have thrown a wave that big at me. Um, but within just like an hour or so, the first of the big sets came in, and so I'm still in this like corridor that looks pretty good. Unfortunately, it's an older forecast. It's, it's maybe 12 or 18 hours old now. Uh, and like I said, the eddies and stuff, they change, they move, um, they oscillate all that sort of stuff. And essentially, um, I'm in between these two counter currents and the waves are heaping up. So there's these big swell in like the 20 foot or more range. But there, every once in a while, every seemed like every 20 minutes or so, these big sets would come in where there's a huge breaker on top wow. that is tumbling down the front for 10, 15 seconds, just rumbling, you know, off in the distance. I'm hearing it. I'm seeing it way off there. And that was when I first realized what we got hit by. I was like, that that's the sort of wave that, could not only tip us over but roll us over take our mast oh yeah and you know possibly sink us who who knows but um so for for about three hours i was essentially in this corridor of death <laughs> which is what i called it um <laughs> staring out at these waves because i didn't want to be just down below and not watching i so i sat and and up there sticking my head out uh, or my torso out basically of the companion way. And I'm just watching two sets coming in one from sort of 45 degrees angle off the back. And then the other 45 and they're coming in and every like 20 minutes or so big set of like four or five of these things come in and they're just tumbling breakers. There were a few that got pretty darn close. Um, but it was one of those things where I didn't, I didn't really have, 
I didn't think that me hopping on that tiller was going to do anything as far as escaping these things. I mean, I'm not a fast enough boat to be able to sort of maneuver around. I mean, these waves, you, you, you'd get down to the bottom of the swell. There's barely any wind. And then the swell picks you up. You feel the winds are still up in like the 25 knot range. So it's starting to taper off, but the waves are still just, they're, they're heavy. And, um, essentially I just left it up to Mongo. I was like, you know what, if, if this is the day that all this is going to go down, um, then it's the day that's all going to go down. You're thinking you might get hit again. Possibly. I I'm just thinking, you know, this, this is a roll of the dice right now. And if, if one of these waves has our name on it, even if it hits a square astern, it's going to wash right over the top of us. Um, probably send us screaming down the wave way too fast and we'll probably lose it. You know, um, I don't know. I was sort of just like in awe of what I was seeing. Cause in all the, all the years and stuff of sailing, I've never seen waves shaped like this and behaving sort of in this violent manner. Um, I don't know. It was, it was remarkable, but, but to get back to your first question, yeah, I had my grab bag with my EPIRB right at the bottom of the stairs. Um, and that's also got the water maker in it, the little hand pump one. I had my knife in my pocket. The life raft is still lashed there in the cockpit. And I sort of mentally in my head went over what, what I'm going to have to do if we get, if we get rolled and hold and the boat starts to go down, um, you know, and, and unfortunately on a lighter side, uh, one of the things with it was that, you know, I had that GoPro and I took a little bit of footage of these waves, but the battery level was getting sort of down. And I wish I would have taken more imagery of this, of these waves, but I was thinking in my head, if I have to get in this life raft, I am going to want some of this power out of this GoPro <laughs> because that footage is going to be really good. <laughs> Honestly, that was what sort of was going in my head. So I, I only took a couple of clips of this, this scenario, but uh, it's definitely forever ingrained in my, in my brain, even the color of the ocean that day. And just, I, it's just, yeah, it's, it's never, that one's not going to leave me just like in the Southern ocean during the March gale, Deep in the Pacific, um, there was a night where the wind started to die off and I had to put more mainsail up and it was this big, bright, full moon and the seas are just raging around me, headed down to Cape Horn. Like I'll, I will never forget that. I was up there for an hour at the mast trying to just inch a little bit more sail up at a time just because the waves were still big, but the winds had eased off and we needed to speed up just ever so slightly, but. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I went off on so, a little tangent. So, how there. much longer <laughs> those condition, uh, those seas lasted? That lasted the breakers, the the sets of breakers coming in, uh, lasted for about three hours. Okay. And then, because I knew eventually I was going to run away and get out of these eddies and get out of these counter currents. Um, and it, like I said, it was just like. Maybe we'll make it. Maybe we won't. We'll we'll just see what happens. And yeah, eventually, the last set of them came in, and it was it was kind of uh, annoying because the set would come in right, and then it would be back to sort of normal swelly rough ocean without the giant sort of breakers. And I'd be like, oh man, I think 
I think we're there. I think we're there. And then 20 minutes later, I'd see the, see the, yeah. the wave and I'd hear the rumble, but eventually they didn't come back. And, um, and the winds, the winds held out luckily, uh, in that like 18 to 20 knot range for a good while. So I was able to sort of ride further and further away. Now um, you, you, as, as you start getting out of this system, you had to start thinking what you're going to do now. Now you had no, no power. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, when, when did you test your battery? Uh, I had turned on my battery that day okay. uh, because I had just looked inside the engine room and, you know, there were, there were things like, um, you know, there was a, a canister of oil and, and coolant and, you know, um, distilled water for the batteries. There's a big bin in there and all that stuff got thrown around, but the batteries stayed exactly where they were. None of them were popped open or anything. And so I felt confident that I could, you know, yeah. turn the thing on. I mean, I, you know, I didn't see any shipping or anything that night. Um, I wasn't really concerned about it at that point, as you can imagine. So I was pretty much in the dark, but, um, yeah, so I was able to at least turn the VHF on. So I still had that. And, um, that was pretty much the only thing. Cause the AIS aerial now is gone. Um, I have like a handheld GPS. I didn't want to use any electricity if I didn't have to, because I hadn't charged the batteries all the day before. Cause it was so cloudy. So the solar did nothing and I didn't run the engine Yeah. cause I was expecting, you know, Hey, we'll get out of this and the sun will come out and you know, eh, it'll be all good. But now, like you said, yeah, it was sort of an assessment time of what finite resources do we have because now we've lost sort of these unlimited things, uh, especially the electricity. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was sort of like, okay, what has changed now? Now I have to run the engine a certain amount to keep the batteries going. Run the fridge a little bit, maybe. Well, and that was, yeah, that was questionable because there was a decent amount of food that I was able to salvage, um, like some ham, only about out of out of six dozen eggs, I think about ten of them made it. Yeah, that was so upsetting. I love like a big breakfast. Yeah. I see, you know, ham, eggs, bacon, hash browns. Ugh. Well, so. Uh, I was able to, yeah, salvage a decent amount of the food, so I did want to run the fridge, but I didn't want to run it until I could charge the batteries because the batteries were probably down to about 12.2 or something at that point. And uh, I, even though it was really warm, so the engine should fire up very quickly, we had been getting knocked around. You know, I don't know how an engine really reacts to being turned almost upside down and, and all that sort of stuff. So the oil level is fine, all that. Um but I was able to eventually get the engine started, charge the batteries. And at that point, yeah, I turned the fridge on because I wanted to salvage some of it. Um, but after, after a few days, I realized that that was being a bit irresponsible because that's the major power draw on this boat. And it made it so that I had to run the engine every day. And I just did not have enough fuel to do that and get all the way back here. Um, because everything sort of kept changing yeah. as far as, okay, I'm going to try to go to Bermuda, you know, by that point, by the end of this whole thing, we were 
we got knocked down maybe 450 miles away from Bermuda. At this point, now we're only like 230 miles away. Oh, we, that close. Huh? Yeah, we we absolutely sort of flew. Well, maybe not quite that close, but uh, I'm exaggerating. Yeah, we we didn't do 200 something miles. <laughs> yeah, that would have been incredible. Um, but we were a lot closer to Bermuda, and I thought, okay. We'll go to Bermuda, we'll get solar panels, we'll get an AIS thing, and we'll be on our way. Um, you know, I'll figure it out. I don't need the arch back there or anything like that, and I can I can do some some repairs. Um, and the forecast initially looked pretty good for it, but the forecast changed pretty rapidly. There was a, a low-pressure system coming out again, so number four yeah, was number coming four. out. And, I, you know, the North Atlantic, I know, is very unsettled place especially in november and and the winter months but this was sort of uh like an assault it almost felt personal in some ways where i was just like come on give me like a break here a couple of days uh in between these things but uh luckily i i hadn't downloaded the weather but i had a, a good friend of mine here in buford scott who who alerted me to the fact that that low had now gotten it had strengthened and it had also moved south a little bit and so that meant that if i wasn't if i didn't make it to bermuda before that thing made it to me we were going to be dealing with like severe gale force winds so much more than we were dealing with in the gulf oh, stream wow. now granted though that that probably would not have been as severe um just because we wouldn't have had the currents that we had because the currents really are sort of the game changer yeah uh, but I still, I didn't want, I didn't know how, how sound Sparrow was. I didn't want to deal with a more extreme storm. Uh, I just wanted, I wanted to just take a break more than anything, but obviously offshore sailing, that's, that's just not a possibility. So yeah. you just had to keep going. And nothing's really close. The next option is yeah. Caribbean or, uh, Southern United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because yeah, when you look at a chart of of the Atlantic, I mean, could have gone off way off to the east uh, to the Azores, but that would have been a long haul. Um, you know, it, for me, it was really just try and get further south to get closer to the trade winds belt, so that I can at least, uh, you know, you're just dealing with way less possibility for like low pressure systems and things like that in that area. Um, so. I decided I wasn't going to take the gamble of trying to make it into Bermuda and and beat that low pressure system, and uh, I was just going to race south to try to get to the edge of it, and uh, essentially that was that was what I ended up doing, and I was glad I did because I don't think I would have made it to Bermuda. Uh, I think I would have made it within probably like 50 miles oh. and then gotten just absolutely pummeled out there. Um, so it was just you know. It was one of those things where uh, the plans changed again, and now we're going in for another round of heavy weather. And that, luckily, that one only lasted, I don't know, maybe 24 hours. And it was, I would say it was near gale to gale force. So again, you know, up in the 30s, but um, it wasn't anywhere near as bad as the one I had just gone through. But, but at the same time, I'm on a, a vessel that's, uh, I guess, a little bit... Um, damaged so it's different you know you're not you're yeah. not fighting with uh you're not in your fighting strength anymore yeah. all of a sudden 
I don't know what those creaks and groans are down below. Yeah. You know, is you that full confidence in the boat? Exactly. Right. And, and so, um, but we were able to push through that one. It was really sloppy and all that stuff. Um, some of the footage of it's ridiculous. The boat is just literally being tossed around like a rag doll. It's crazy. <sighs> um, and I'm also starting to get a bit delirious as well. And, uh, you can see that in the film as well. There's one part where I'm like, broken Dodger, broken this, hey, I love sailing, Wheel! all this stuff. And I don't know, just a bit, bit ridiculous, but um, I don't know. Yeah, it was uh, getting, getting walloped again after that first one was definitely, it, it was just like insult to injury. Oh my know? God, yeah. But the ocean, it doesn't know you're there. It doesn't care. It's just doing its ocean thing. I mean, I don't know why there's so many low pressure systems at that time. Nobody does. So. And then you have one more system uh, before you're kind of like out of it in the south. That's yeah, the- yeah. So we, I was able to run pretty much due south, and then uh, started to make my way back towards the states. Um, and then a big cold front came down, swept pretty much across. I don't know thousand miles of the Atlantic. And that one was actually pretty ugly. It lasted two days and it was blowing 30 gusting 35. And I can remember on the first forecast I saw, it didn't look that bad, but then again, it just sort of where I was, it looked like it was just going to pass on by, you know, run over us. But it sort of got down to where we were, and then it just sort of slowed down and hovered. And I remember getting done with the first night of it, and then the day came, and the breakers and the swell, everything built up. Um, nothing crazy, but we were starting to see some ugly breakers. Uh, and I remember texting my buddy Scott again and being like, hey, you know, just uh, wanted to check. You got the current update. How long is this supposed to last? Is it supposed to like calm down today? And he, he all I got back was 24 hours plus. Sorry, oh. bud. And I'm like, oh, man, that is not what I wanted to hear. Because um, at this point, I'm really getting to the edge of exhaustion. Uh, as you can imagine, it's uh, I was at this point with that one because it had some pretty ugly breakers in it. Um it really affected my ability to sleep. Normally, I could come down and crash out for a little while, but hearing sort of the rumble and stuff, I I don't think I slept more than an hour during that whole thing, uh-huh. and that lasted for two days. So, I was I was starting to f- mentally and, and physically too. Cause Were you, you worry about the traffic a little bit? Or not, at not that out point, there? no. Just... I was just like. Worried about the conditions, making sure it was good. I, I With the VHF, I can at least see where other ships are, and then I can calculate myself kind of if they're going to approach me, you know, to a not exact position, but pretty close. Um, but it doesn't it, – it's not like the, the full AIS where alarms go off yeah. and it tells me exactly how close we're going to come and all that sort of stuff. So it was like old school, but I, and I know how to, you know, keep an eye out, but again, you know, you, you do have to try and sleep. So it wasn't until that storm sort of ran itself out and I crossed paths with a big red hauled sail, uh, um, ship that was maybe a quarter mile ahead of me. 
and it passed going the opposite direction and he's like blasting through these swell and there's big like white water and i'm like oh you lucky um that was when all of a sudden i was like okay real deal we're, we're in the shipping lanes now and uh we're heading towards three of the busiest seaports uh in the southeast you know jacksonville charleston and savannah and uh you know i all the shipping coming out of the oceans all heading towards them so um but luckily on the bright side the forecast looked pretty good um as far as no more no more big systems uh, i had sort of escaped their their path and i was south of them and it was going to be light winds but it was also going to be like extremely light winds um which is always a little scary as well because when you're moving, you can duck and dodge things, but when you're becalmed, you're just sitting there. And I still had the engine, obviously. I still had had uh, the use of that, but I don't know. Yeah. There's something about being a sitting duck out there with no sails up, and you're you're trying to sleep down below and mentally calm your brain down and say, "Hey, you are not going to get hit by anything." And guess what? You're so tired that literally you just you cannot give a care about that you've got to just be like hey an hour hopefully they see me hopefully they're not you know playing video games up on on the bridge (laughs) (laughs) but that's way easier said than done um i would lay down and instantly my brain would say is that the murmur of an engine it only takes like 16 minutes for a fast moving vessel to get from the horizon to me yeah and this, these thoughts would go through my head. And normally I'm really good about being able to block that stuff out. But I think I was already so exhausted that, uh, my ability to fight my own mind was sort of, uh, handicapped. Yeah. And without the AIS. Yeah. A little more scary and, uh, yeah. Well, all about, cause you know, I put a hundred percent faith in that AIS uh, you know, when I'm out there, I'll sleep sometimes for like two or three hours and you know, that ARS alarm goes off, boom, I'm up in two seconds, but it allows me the peace of mind to really just be able to rest. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm not sleeping for three hours in a shipping area, Yeah. but when I'm out open ocean, uh, and I haven't seen a ship in 10 days, yeah. I'll I'll sleep for hours, as many hours as I can, really. I'm not going to lie. If I'm in the Southern Ocean and I can sleep for 10 hours, done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about it. I only saw four boats uh, the whole time I was down there, four and a half months. Um, but, yeah, I mean, eventually was able to slowly work our work our way in and, uh, and make it all the way back to uh, South Carolina. Awesome. That's that's uh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty scary. Just a, a wave like that that was really sort of unexpected, you know. Until the next day that you really saw what what you were dealing with, and uh, yeah, yeah, I was definitely lucky. Lucky in some respects, unlucky in others. Where, you know, obviously the wave found me. It hit me just right. Uh, but I was very lucky that not every wave was like that. Um, because in the Gulf Stream, the weather can escalate so quickly. You know, it, it could have gone from blowing 30 knots to blowing 50 knots. And then, you know, you think about the waves that would have been built up or 60 or 70 knots. I mean, there's it, it really it really taught me 
because I've crossed the Gulf Stream I don't know how many times. Um, and I've always been very, very wary of it. And I think, if anything, this this trip taught me that, you know, if you've got to be super uncomfortable and hove to so you can stay as far away from the stream as possible, even if you've got to go through hell and back to do that, stay out of that stream because when that ocean gets really out of hand it gets to the point where yeah it can pick up a twenty thousand pound boat mm. like it was a ping pong ball and just flick it down the front of a wave and you know no matter how strong all that stuff was back there it's gonna rip that stuff apart i can't believe mongo's uh wind blade didn't break I mean, it's it's absolutely remarkable to me the stuff that, well, I shouldn't say that because really there isn't anything up there. Uh, I keep the deck very very clear. Yeah. So you know the Dodger got trashed, but it was lashed down, and the gallows and the solar and the spray skirt went. Um, the wood rail that completely the, yeah cracked. the cap oh, rail yeah because yeah. yeah. that was what it sort of bolted through. Yeah. Um, but I mean, other than that, there isn't anything on the deck at all. I don't have extra fuel jugs or anything like that. It's all just swept. And I, you know, the the portholes are very protected because they have sort of the the bulwarks or the railing, uh, the fiberglass there. Um, so I, you know, I I I see a lot of, and I have dissected a lot of the the, the shortcomings that I. I have uh, to sort of live with the things that I screwed up on. Um, but I think it's more important to just learn from those, mark them down, don't make the same mistake again, um, but also, you know, look at, don't just dwell on that, but look at, you know, what what you actually were able to accomplish and the fact that you were able to get out of it. I'm not trying to, like, pat myself on the back, but, like, instead of focusing on, the bad stuff also balance it out with some of the good that, you know, you were able to do. And yeah. just, just yeah. for peace of mind, because, you know, you get back from a trip like that and it affects you mentally. Um, and I'm still, it's still so new that I'm, I'm sort of working it out in my head, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I know that I can fix all this stuff and i'm glad about that i'm i know it's like financially it's pretty <laughs> devastating uh but it's you know it's one of those things where i'd rather have i'd rather have troubles like that than not be around to have troubles like that yeah if that makes sense it's so. a good place to be back too also just uh, you know you could have ended up in the bermuda or Somewhere in the Caribbean, but at least here there's a there's a bonfire going on. <laughs> yeah. We'll we'll, we'll uh, entertain you meanwhile. Well, yeah. and I I can't I can't express how how good it was to be able to come back to a place with not only familiar faces and it's like home, like the United States, but just oh yeah, friends. We, we were like, happy that uh, you were heading here and uh, we we're gonna get to see you around. But at the same time, we felt like. You know, we we sort of prefer that the maybe would just still be out there and not uh, <laughs> have a broken boat and yeah, yeah, you know, I well, it is it is one of those things where I'm I'm still really trying my best to see the light in all this, see sort of the the silver lining, and I think there are a lot of a lot of good things that will come out of this and have already. Um, 
I just, I don't know. It's one of those things where in some ways I think solo sailors that go out in the ocean and really hit up some of the, the higher latitude stuff and go to the places where they know it's going to be a little bit rough. I think deep down inside, at least personally, I think I've been sort of searching to see what that's like. And obviously I, I don't want to see it again. Um, I don't want to see an even worse form of it. Uh, but I think there was part of me that's sort of like, I want to know what it's like when it gets like out of hand, out of control. I mean, you know, I've watched a million YouTube videos of like container ships and heavy weather and, and that stuff. And I, you know, stuff that I've never even been close to. And I think to myself, what would it be like if I was on Sparrow in that? <sighs> and, you know, that usually gives me a chill, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm still trying to wrap my head around all of it. Um, but I, I do want to say, I mean, the fact that you and Amy, you know, brought me pizza and <laughs> beer and water and, and that, that was exactly why I pulled in here and stayed out there for another two days rather than pull into somewhere in Florida, you know, where I don't know anybody. And, and it just, Going through a whole thing like that really puts into perspective how important friendships and relationships and stuff are yeah. and, and how how good they are in, in life. I mean, it really, without that, it's not to get all sappy, but without that, I mean, what the, what's the point, yeah. right? Yeah. So, <laughs> and beer and pizza are so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, uh I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's anything more. I'm like exhausted from telling that story. <laughs> <laughs> I've told it a lot though, because obviously yeah. I've been reaching out to a lot of people. Um, but it's, yeah, I don't know, man. It's 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 pretty crazy. Um, yeah, it it it. I don't know. It, I almost feel like you you have like a some small form of PTSD from this, really. Like just some where you were telling me something, thinking about it, or relieving it as a. It's yeah, tough. Just, yeah. yeah. I well, it's just it's one of those things where I, there definitely was a, a decent amount of time where I really thought like this could be it. Like one of these monsters takes us down. We could go like down, yeah. down. And you know, during that time, I I just sort of watched and I thought about all the sort of places that I've, I've been and I've worked and the people I know and all that sort of stuff, sort of all through the life. And, um, you know, it was that whole idea of like seeing your, your life flash before your eyes, like right before like a car accident or something. Well, this was like a three hour long car accident in slow motion. And so I had all this time and, um, yeah, it was just, um, I don't know. It, it's definitely, put a lot of things in perspective for me. Um, and I, you know, I don't know. It's just, I like, it's just crazy, uh, to, to sort of get to that, to that point where you really truly do think like, wow, this could be it. Uh, as much as it's a scary situation, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that I got to go through that because I think it's gonna, in the end, when I do sort all my head out and everything, like when I see my family next week and all that sort of stuff, I think it's, uh, I think it's going to be the sort of growth that, uh, is good for a person. Wow. Yeah. 
That's my take on it. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Packs. All right. Well, listen, unless you have any more questions, I'm that's it. Like that, that's all I can do at this point. Um unless you if, if you got anything nah, you're think, wondering about. No, I, th- I think it's pretty good. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, yeah. well, and and I, I know I hope people uh, I really understand uh, what it was going through this and uh yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>